so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. have a desire to speak up for the God-given value of life in all stages, from the womb to the tomb, but you don't know the best way to go about it. At our Evangelicals for Life conference, a panel consisting of Kelly Rosati, Catherine Jean Lopez, DJ Jordan, Allison Centifante, and Herbie Newell, all knowledgeable of the pro-life cause, gave advice tailored just for you. We hope you enjoy this message. We have an exciting panel for you tonight, and uh, I can't wait for you to be able to hear from the expertise that is in the room late this evening. The title of our conversation tonight is Be a Voice for Life, Developing a Compelling Pro-Life Message, and I'd love to introduce you to our panelists. Um, Catherine Jean Lopez, right here to my left, is uh, such a favorite. She is the former editor and current editor-at-large of the widely read and cited daily webzine, The National Review Online, where she has written and edited for more than a decade. She is also a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. And if any of you are like me, you've probably long been a fan of this woman. I have so appreciated her Uh, sometimes singular voice at the national level on behalf of human dignity. Uh, Her current passions around issues of child welfare. We're very, very blessed to have you. So thank you for being with us. And to her left is another favorite of mine. DJ Jordan is a communications director in the office of United States Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Some of you were probably here and heard Senator Langford. Yes, exactly. Go ahead. Do that again. Woo! Senator Langford. So all that good stuff you see, you can... You know, thank DJ for being a part of that. (laughs) We're super glad he's here, and he's also an adoptive dad, another thing I love about him. And to his left is Allison Centafonte, and Allison is a dear friend and has done amazing work. She's the director of Alliance Relations at the Alliance Defending Freedom, formerly known as the Alliance Defense Fund, perhaps to some of you, and she works to serve, strengthen, and expand the Alliance on Life, Marriage, and Religious Freedom. And to her left is a fantastic guy that I do not have the privilege of knowing quite as well as the other three, but we're sure glad you're here. This is Herbie Newell, and he is the President and Executive Director of Lifeline Children's Services and its ministry arms, including Unadopted Crossings and Lifeline Village. So for the sake of us all staying awake, give this panel a hand on the front end. There we go, because this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Okay, so here's my first question, and it is for all of you. I think, Catherine Jean, I'll start with you. And it's a little bit of a provocative question, and here it is. Is the pro-life message boring? Oh, cheapers. Um, well, I've been in town for a couple of days now doing, we've done a couple of events already together, Kelly, um, if, if you can still remember, because I barely can. Um, it's not boring. There's a lot going on in town, that's for sure. But, um, but more seriously... Um, Is our message stale? 
uh, you know, it can be if we let it. And, and I think we do let it when we, we, we let political news cycles dictate how we're going to talk about it and when we're going to talk about it. And, and so I actually get really irritated every time Republicans start talking about defunding Planned Parenthood. Not because I don't want to defund Planned Parenthood, I do. But where the rest of the time are we talking about, so what other things do we have to offer women? Because so many, one of the things that I find so consoling is when we look at poll numbers and the Knights of Columbus just, just had a new set of Marist polls they commissioned, they've been doing it for, for over a decade. And we see that people who describe themselves as pro-choice, they don't wake up in the morning thinking about abortion, motivated by abortion. They want to know that women in difficult situations have some choices, have somewhere to turn, right? So that's where we step in and we start talking about the resources and we start talking about the choices, but we're not always doing that. Um, and, and as you say, you give me way too much credit, Kelly, but I, I do understand why you do, because sometimes it feels like you know, that there are a few charitable characters who are writing about, you know, adopt, adoption policy yeah. and, and, and all these things, while everybody else is caught up talking about what, what are the House and the Senate may or may not do. And as a movement, we have to do a better job of, of talking about the heroes of adoption and, and, and so, so many other people um, who are the real front lines faces of the pro-life movement. I like that charitable characters. I think that's going to be my new name. So I heard you say what my therapist would tell me needs to be a positive frame. Yes. <laughs> joking, joking. Come on, it's late. Thank you. Um, but I hear that. A positive frame and not uh, just simply reacting to the news cycle. Right. DJ, that must be something that's difficult for you in your professional right. capacity. Tell us how you do well, a great job. How do you do that? Well, I appreciate it. I'm not going to take a, you know, a whole lot of credit for Senator James Langford and his work on life. Um, he's very, very unique in that he is, he's young and um, he's worked with students for a long time. So he always says that nothing prepared him better for Congress than working with juveniles in, in church ministry. Uh, but when, when you have to talk about tough issues with young people, it forces you to talk about it in a different way. And I've seen a tremendous transform, transformation, specifically over the last probably six to 10 years in the pro-life community. And uh, you see it on display at this conference over the last three years because it is a more comprehensive way at talking about life in an appealing way. We're including adoption, foster care, refugee, disabled. Um, we're talking about a whole lot of different issues. We're also talking about justice, which has a very, very wide appeal. So no, you're seeing a transformation and I think it's a great thing. What do you think, Allison? I think if our messaging was stale, you wouldn't have seen thousands of people out in the mall today. Right. Yeah. And all the young people. Especially. Yes, and particularly the young people. Uh, I'm 28 myself, but somebody came up to me and said, oh, you young. is everyone 16 here? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I kind of, I'm getting older. They might be. But if our messaging was stale and dry and not winsome and compelling, I think that you would see movements like this dwindle out. And instead, you're seeing more and more young people particularly like run to the battle and say, I found out. I can't unsee what I've seen or unhear what I've heard, and I want to do something about it. So any good social justice movement, any successful movement, you know, the ultimate goal is to get to the influential leaders um, and flip their mind on something like this. So I'm excited for us to 
continue to be innovative so that we can get you know, academia and media and celebrities and political elites to finally say, look, I've seen it and I have to face you know, what this really is. That's our goal. So we'll continue to be innovative. That's good. What do you think, Herbie, on your, from your vantage point? So I, I'll talk more from the church. I think a lot of times as the church, sometimes we think we're losing. And honestly, there's almost a depressed type of thing. And so we make it political because we feel like we're losing. And uh, I just don't think we're losing, right? We're not going to lose. We, we already know that we're going to be victorious. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to bring you life abundantly. And then he lays down his life for us. So we should have zest in this movement because we're representing a savior that demonstrated life, that, that purchased our life for us. So there's zest in this movement. We're not going to lose because we already know the, the outcome. And so I, I do think we need to wake the church up to, like others have said, not make this a political movement, but remember that life comes from a savior and that's what we proclaim. By the way, that was a nice, that's that was a great, great Christian. Yes, go yeah. ahead, clap. That's good. That was a great Christian way of rebuking us because we talked about it in a political context, but you're absolutely right. It's so be much beyond politics. Pro-life movement is beyond politics. If we narrow it down to politics, I think we lose. Like uh, Ben Watson said as well, if Jesus walked the earth today, would he be Republican or Democrat? I think he'd be independent. I think he'd be neither. Oh, absolutely. Because he would be talking about doing the work and spreading the gospel first and foremost. And that's what our movement needs to do. Well, I, I ask people all the time. So let's say by God's grace that abortion's made illegal. What are our talking points? Then? Yeah right? Where our talking points need to be what we're living out right now, which is embracing life the way it is. Like our talking points shouldn't change just because of a government policy. We should be living this out in everything that we do. And that means that life issues aren't just abortion. Life issues are race relations. I mean, our churches need to look more like the ethnicity that Jesus came to redeem. Amen. And that's a life issue. And so there's so many things to get excited about. There's so many things to champion. And we need to champion life, not act like we're, we're losing this battle or that we've got to put this on the, the politicians. I, I would say one of the things we've talked about this week is that's is that in addition to our talking points, we need to get our living points down. And instead of only talking about the gospel and the dignity of human life, it. we need to live it. Yep. We need to be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus on these issues. So um, I think a lot of times what happens for folks that are um, real passionate about this, but maybe they're not living it day to day in the same way that all of you panelists do, how would you give a 30-second elevator speech that people could be equipped to have in terms of why are you pro-life and what does it mean to be pro-life? Catherine Jean, I'll start with you. Um, well, I'm, I, I infamously think of something after the 30 seconds. So, um, <laughs> so there's, Ready, go. So yes, yes, I'm, I'm the, <laughs> the best person to start with here. Um, but, I mean, you know... I'm really bad at, at those kind of gimmicky, quick, quick conversations. And one thing that, that I've been noticing more and more people talk <laughs> about... For past 30 seconds. Is, yeah, right. See, <laughs> it took me 30 seconds to clear my throat there. Um, and did you mean to say what a terrible question that is, Kelly? <laughs> no, no. It was an excellent question that perhaps I should have given thought to. you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if, if in 30 seconds you can open the door a little bit where somebody 
thinks, you know, she doesn't seem like a terrible person. Maybe I want to have more of a conversation. I think you, you, you've probably, um, you've done something there. What about you, DJ? Oh, this is your tough. business. It, it matters who you're talking about, first of all, but I think a broad um, audience, I might say something like, you know, kind of what Senator James Langford said yesterday, where is your stopping point on where life begins and, and ends? And also, as a society, um, abortion perpetuates the idea that certain human lives are more valuable than others. Do you want to live in a society like that? Allison. Awesome. Yeah, I think what you do is more important than what you'll ever say. So in my experience, people that are finding foster care families to go and help, finding um, a way to serve at church, or just being a listening ear, like Catherine was saying, like just being a safe place for people to come and hash out some of these issues. I think not making it so political and being careful with our witness of how we talk about things even people we don't like, maybe, in politics, being very careful about that witness because people are watching what we're doing even more than what we're saying. So I, I say, go and act it out, and then when people ask you, you'll have an answer. Yeah, there's no room for ugliness in the pro-life movement. Um, we serve the Savior, as you said. And, and I think we Herbie. need to be really careful on social media. We've talked about this before. Yeah. You just reminded me, I mean, there are certain people I won't even mention on Twitter because I know it just brings out the worst in people. And so just being careful about being 11 um, in those kind of uh, circumstances. And that's such a good reminder. It can be difficult, but I think that is just an integral part of our pro-life witness. What about you, Herbie? Well, I mean, I think very simply, I believe that Jesus, and I believe that God is the author of life, and that life is made in his image. And I started out this morning in Guatemala at an orphanage for special needs children. And so it was with Down syndrome children and children with HIV. Today you were there? This morning, yeah. Wow. So I, these kids are made in the image of God. And so we're not tired. You're <laughs> yeah. tired. I withdraw the whining. But, but we keep talking, you know, obviously abortion is murder. But the reason I'm pro-life is because I think it's an accomplice to that murder if you're apathetic against life that's already born. And that means those lives that are in orphanages. That means kids that are in foster care. And that even means, beloved, the lady that's walking into the abortion clinic. Her life is sacred, and I'm pro-life, and I'm going to fight for her life. I'm going to fight for all life because Jesus came to die for those lives. And that's why I'm pro-life, because these lives, no matter who they are, no matter what syndrome they may have, no matter what they may choose, no matter who they voted for, they are a, a person that's made in the image of God. And that's why I'm pro-life. Amen. Amen. Catherine Jean, this one is for you. Go ahead and clap. That's a great, that's such a great point. Thank you. Uh, this one's for you, Catherine Jean. As the editor of an influential conservative magazine, you've seen and authored a number of articles on the subject. What are a few examples of ones that your audience found to be especially compelling on the pro-life front? And what lessons can we all take away from that? It, it's telling the stories of the people who are on the front lines, which um, because we're so often reactive and driven by news cycles and whatever is trending and hot, um, we don't always tell. <laughs> and, and so um, I, I get the most reaction when, when um, whether it's an article or even in my sort of think tank cat, um, br 
always do a policy discussion where we bring in somebody who runs a home for, for disabled adults, is one example I'm thinking of. Or um, the Sisters of Life, who, who run a mission for, for, for women who, need, who are pregnant and need support, and then, and then maternity help after the pregnancy. Those stories make us credible as Christians, as a pro-life movement, and, and, uh, and it helps people start to understand. And frankly, people who aren't with us necessarily, aren't sure what they think on the abortion issue, it, it starts to open a door, like I was saying before, um, where maybe it doesn't convince them right away, but then they stop and say, okay, well, first of all, she, she knows people who are actually doing things, not just talking. Um, and, then, and then people start thinking, well, I, I wonder if there's some place like that down the block or in my community that maybe I should be supporting or looking into. Um, and then that starts changing things a little gradually. That's good. DJ, from a policy standpoint, what do you see as some of the key things that uh, folks can keep an eye on as we look uh, to the months to come at what's happening in Congress on the pro-life front? Well, uh, hopefully next week we'll have a vote on the pain-capable bill in the Senate. It's already passed the House. And can you explain that a little bit for those who might not be as familiar? Yeah, the pain-capable bill would um, outlaw abortion past five months um, of pregnancy. And so that's one of the uh, big pro-life bills that uh, Senator Langford and a few pro-life senators are, are pushing. And you're calling it the pain-capable bill. Can you explain for our audience why that's so important? You're right. That's uh, where we have scientific evidence where uh, unborn babies can feel pain at that stage. Um, there's also another bill of the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, uh, which is a, a, a bill that would require medical professionals to give care to any baby that is born uh, out of a botched abortion. Um, and so that's one of the things we're working on. Uh, Planned Parenthood is kind of the, the shiny object. I don't think we have the votes there, but people are going to continue to push for that. And then there's Conscience Protection Act, which um, would uh, allow healthcare providers to uh, not be compelled to be a part of an abortion if they don't want to. All very important measures. And, and, I, and I'll say this one thing, too. Um, beyond politics, I mean, we can't talk about pro-life as just a Republican issue. Um, we have to engage people from all political backgrounds because there are real conversations that are happening with people who are Democrats or identify as liberal or Democrat, and they are starting to look at this issue in a new way if you talk about where is your line. Um, is, it, is it 20 weeks? Is it 30 weeks? If a baby is born after a, a, a botched abortion, should you provide care? And when you are asking them that question, they're thinking about this in a whole different way than before. And especially Senator Langford, like myself, we use a lot of terminology that the left would use uh, when talking about this. We talk about justice. We talk about uh, equality. We talk about um, vulnerable children. And people are thinking about it in a, in a completely different way. And, and can I commend you about this? This is so essential what he said. You're doing it and it's not a tactic. It's from your heart. And that is what makes the difference because people can tell if you're talking that way because it's a tactic or if that is something that really is emerging from the inside of you. So I just, again, want to say thank you to you and Senator Lankford for leading the way and for doing what you're doing there. Allison, what do you see at Alliance Defending Freedom as some of the most important things uh, coming up for the pro-life community in these next months? Sure. Well, we've had the honor of uh, being able to defend different parts of the pro-life movement. So there's different elements there. And 
they're being attacked. So college students on campus who are just trying to have a Students for Life meeting or have a conservative speaker come in or a woman who's had an abortion and wants to talk about it, um, administrations are delaying that, shutting it down. Thankfully, a strongly worded letter from a bunch of Christian attorneys usually does the trick. Um, Speaking if, of communication. If not, uh, we, we do have brave students, some that met with Vice President Pence just yesterday, that have sued their university to make sure that they are free to speak a message that they believe in, other students can. Um, pro-life nurses, doctors, OBGYN, some might be in this room, they've needed help in being able to not to have the freedom to not participate in something that is egregious to them. And, and unfortunately, they've been forced to at times in their jobs. We live in a great country. You should never be forced to participate in something you don't believe in. Um, but the most important thing looking forward is these pregnancy centers. Right now, pregnancy centers who many of you volunteer at and know of, people who work at them, these beautiful pro-life centers that offer free resources and diapers and parenting classes to the community are being asked, forced, to promote abortion within their four walls, to use those four walls as a billboard for the abortion industry. And we are taking that case all the way to the Supreme Court this spring. So thanks. We shouldn't have to, but we are. Um, so keep an eye out for that. that that's NIFLA, the National Institute of Family Life Advocates. We're going to just defend them and their right to live according to their mission. So when we have an oral argument state, I would love you all to come and stand with us <laughs> yes. that day. Well, and if everyone can't come, at least give them a little bit more information about how we can all be praying Absolutely. for this case. You can go to givefreespeechlife.org. That's givefreespeechlife.org. That's the whole campaign about the case. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah. Did you, DJ, did you want to jump in on that? Well, yeah, I want to say definitely we need your voice in Washington, D.C. We have people at the Supreme Court all the time, and I'm telling you there is a major difference when there is a, um, a tone and an environment there that is full of compassion, love, and people are there from all over the country. And sadly, there have been times where we are advocating for something, and we have some people within our movement who are very hateful and angry, and I'm telling you, it hurts the movement. It, it hurts does. the cause. And we have a lot of people watching. We have a lot of eyes. We have a lot of journalists uh, there who their cameras will be drawn. They'll go to the craziest person with the most offensive, ugly sign that doesn't represent Jesus Christ. Or John, 3, 10, John 13, where uh, Jesus said, you will know that you're, they will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And that's what we need in Washington, D.C. We need more demonstrators and activists to come with that attitude. Kirby, that's right up your alley. Bring us home with your last thoughts about communicating this message of life and love as we go about this work. Yeah, well, one of the things that I've just been so encouraged to see the local churches doing is we have a huge problem, and a lot of it is foster care. We have kids that have been abused or neglected or have families that are, are abusing drugs or have poverty and, and are leaving their kids unsupervised. And one of the beautiful things we've seen the church do over the last several years, which is so pro-life, is to come around these parents that have lost their kids and help teach them parenting skills, help mentor them, get them back on the feet to re-support those families. And so if we're going to be pro-life, we've also got to be pro-family. And that means helping these single moms. That means coming alongside of these families that have lost their kids. And the best resource source for that is the church. It's not government. You know, it's not the government's job to be pro-life. It's the church's job to be pro-life. And we've got to equip the church to do that. And we've got to make those entry ramps easy for them to do that. 
Pro-life is pro-love. DJ, I'm afraid we're out of time. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ah. Last point, DJ. I is can't resist. Mic on? Go ahead. I want to say uh, two things really, really quickly. Don't be afraid to um, work with the justice movement, social justice movements. Oftentimes, we're scared away from movements like that, but many of them, they're using language that is consistent with life. And number two, don't back away from the women's argument. The left is... Uh, constantly talking about abortion as and life as a women's issue, but that is sending a message to our young boys mm-hmm. and our men that they are not a part of parenting or a family. And we are seeing that as a society. Uh, we're seeing the, the, the issues that come from that. So mm-hmm. don't back away. Lean into it. I'm, I might add to that. All right. The and that's too. it. Yeah, we're terrible. I'm sorry. The Me Too movement is such an opportunity. It is, and it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Give our panel an applause here to, yep, thank you. Really appreciate all of you. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcast and leave a review while you're there. Check back next week as we hear a message from J.D. Greer.